Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a great show we have today. I am very happy to welcome to the pod, after some previous tries, Yuri Guiana. Yuri is an LGBT plus activist that engages in issues related to the rainbow community, both in Italy and internationally, and is also the secretary of LGBTI Liberals for Europe, which is a European Liberal Forum member organization. Yuri and I were part of the ELF event LGBTI Freedom Zones in Practice that happened in the 28th of February in Brussels at the European Committee of Regions. I asked Yuri to talk to me on the podcast to go over some of the major takeaways from the event that counted with members of the European Parliament, politicians and activists. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell about some of the events organized by ELF for this week of April. I'm here with Yuri Guyana. Yuri, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ricardo. Oh, it's great to have you here. And actually, we already crossed paths a couple of times, and I've been trying to have you on the podcast for some time now. But, uh, before we go into the main reason why you're here, and that is we were together at the LGBTI Freedom Zones in Practice, LGBT Rights in the European Union. This was an ELF event, and we're going to go into it in detail. But tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, thank you for having me again. Uh, so I've been an activist, in an LGBTI activist for a long time. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not young anymore. Um, oh, the unfortunately, it's not that you're young. It's not that you're active. <laughs> yes, exactly. I hope. Absolutely, absolutely. You're not yeah, getting any I'm, second thoughts. You're not you know, regretting no. anything. No, 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 absolutely. I love it. And I have the privilege to work in the field, to work as an activist, not only to do the, to do that in my free time, but also to do it as a profession, which is a huge privilege. So I definitely do not regret it. Like I started being an activist, an LGBTI activist back in the 90s. It was mainly in Italy, a couple of different organizations. And then I started doing more international activism. I, uh, we were chatting before starting this um, podcast, and I told you that I've always felt very xenophile, international, because of my name and because of, of many other things in my life. So I took that path, and I, again, uh, had the huge privilege of being uh, involved in uh the board of ILGA Europe. Um, now I'm also sitting in the board of ILGA World and I am working for an organization that uh, is called All Out that does lots of campaigns around the world. Uh, but uh, above all, a few years ago, I joined forces with Ralph and other liberals around Europe to set up an organization that is called LGBTI Liberals of Europe. And again, I was very lucky to be elected secretary of that organization. Indeed, Ralph Frolich, I'm going to put on the show notes the podcast where he came to talk to me about LGBTI uh, Liberals for Europe, exactly as you just mentioned, and also some of the work that you guys have been doing. And more to the end of the conversation, I'm going to ask you to do a little refresher because since then you guys published a very interesting book that I read, and also you've been doing some work on the field. But let's go now to the ELF event 
that brought us to Brussels and to a fantastic experience, I must say. Personally, we were at the Committee of Regions building and that was just amazing. But uh, I'm going to put some pictures so that I can make a proof of what you just said. This is an important <laughs> conversation, Yuri. One of the things that I noticed talking with other people from the LGBTQ community, and I already had Marta from Ilga Portugal on the videocast, Liberty. And one thing that I noticed is that People like you, activists, people are on the field, you keep telling us non-members of the community, mostly heterosexual and normative, heteronormative people, things are getting worse. You guys probably don't notice, you think that there's a lot of progress and we are all good now, but we are not. We actually, we're regressing. So tell us a little bit that feeling that it's right now taking over a little bit not only the, the community as you belong but also public opinion so what's going on tell us well maybe unfortunately uh, the thing that is more evident at the moment is the tragic tragic war that is going on in ukraine and argument that some russian very influential influential russian uh, People like Putin himself, Alexander Dugin, uh, and I, a philosopher very influential in the Kremlin, and uh, Kirill I, the patriarch of uh, Russia. All three people mentioned in their speeches to around the war and even to justify the war, they mentioned LGBT rights. They mentioned, they said that. This war, like very recently, um, the patriarch Kirill said that, that this war is also due to the fact that uh, in Donbas uh, for eight years, you know, the West was trying to force gay pride parades in, 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 in Russia and, they, and the West is threatening traditional values. And that was repeated again by dug in, it was uh, even mentioned by Putin in the war, in the, in the speech that he made just before invading Ukraine. So that, 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 that is a clear example of the level of, I would say madness, but actually it's not really only madness, the level of animosity that is in certain circles in Russia um, that are uh, definitely making the situation very, very bad and, and increasingly worse, not only, obviously, because of the war in Ukraine, but also for LGBT Russian people in, in Russia uh, itself. And, and, and that started in 2011, 2012, when the so-called anti-gay propaganda happened. And then, of course, in 2017, there was the other tragic event in Chechnya, where President Kadyrov um, started a crackdown where uh, lots of LGBT plus people were arrested illegally, tortured, and some of them even killed. And Putin didn't do even the very simple thing that we were asking, which was just starting an investigation to see to verify what was happening on the ground and, and take action. But then, of course, if we look closer to my country and your country uh, within the European Union, also the situation is getting 
worse, or at least we are at a standstill in terms of progress. And the obvious examples are countries like Poland and Hungary. If we talk about Hungary, for instance, um, well, it's shocking to see that just last year, Hungary passed uh, a legislation that uh, it's not the same, but kind of inspired by the so-called anti-gay propaganda legislation in Russia, which um, in Hungary aims at forbidding uh, broadcasting con LGBT plus content before a certain a certain time in the day in order to protect children and. Very soon, in April the 3rd, uh, Hungary is going to go to the ballot stations to vote on a so-called referendum, which is actually really a plebiscite with very misleading questions, including questions to confirm this, this legislation, which is, uh, by the way, not only harming LGBT plus people, certainly it is harming LGBT plus people because this kind of laws are also instigating discrimination in society. They are refraining people from maybe helping or talking about LGBT plus rights because they are afraid to violate the law certain, in certain contexts. But it is um, detrimental of everybody's rights because basically these laws are uh, reducing freedom of speech for everybody. Because if you cannot show uh, certain content uh, to a certain audience due to the age of the audience or the possibility that children are happening to watch that content, then it means that, you know, people cannot express freely what they want to express and people do not have the right to watch freely or, or listen to uh, what they want to watch or listen to freely. And then, of course, there's Poland. In Poland, um, we, we know what, what was going on, the so-called free zone that actually inspired our liberal friends in Renew Europe to put forward that uh, resolution of the European Parliament together with other parties that was passed, uh, which is the LGBTQI uh, freedom zones, as opposed to um, free from LGBT zones. Uh, and of course, that was, that was definitely a very... Um, very bad situation that instigated a lot of violence, a pride parade that uh, was very ex exclusionary. And of course, certainly for, for, uh, for Poland, the, the reaction to the European Union was actually better uh, than usual after a lot of calls from activists like myself uh, and others uh, to intervene. And, you know, the, the actions that the European Union took helped to reduce the number, for instance, the number of so-called LGBT free zones has been decreasing recently, uh, which is definitely which is definitely very good. But that's that's a, that's the idea of of how bad the situation is in certain contexts, but how central LGBTI rights have become in the political debate and in the political controversies within Europe. But you know, if you look at the US, for instance, and you if you and if you look at the cultural war on trans rights, on toilets and stuff like that, it, it is uh, Oh, it gets worse. I'm sorry, Yuri, let me interrupt you because 
as our listeners know, I follow American politics way too closely. And in Texas, actually, they're trying to pass a law that will make it criminal for a parent to look for help if they have a non-binary children. It's that insane. Absolutely. And Florida has just passed again a, a, a law that yeah. forbids schools to talk about LGBT plus rights and, and, and issues. They don't say gay bill, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean, this is the level of the situation. But I also want to say, because I'm a liberal, I'm a progressive, and I, do, and, I, and I tend to be always very realistic. If you, we look at worldwide, of course, there are very bad cases like Ghana, for instance, where, uh, again, there is a bill that is mm-hmm. over-criminalizing mm-hmm. not only LGBTI people, but also straight people that are LGBT plus allies and that are simply, you know, uh, helping or supportive of LGBTI rights. And that is, again, another indication that, you know, cracking down on, on LGBTI rights means cracking down on human rights on the rights of everybody. Um, But it's also true that if we extend our our look uh, historically and also geographically, there is also progress. Like criminalization of LGBTI people is decreasing in the world. In the past few years, we have seen a number of states that have decriminalized. The, The biggest example, of course, is India, that freed from criminalization millions and millions of LGBT plus people. So that is to say two things. One is that uh, activism is working. It's not that, you know, actually, in my opinion, the LGBTI movement is an example of the probably the most successful activism in history because in just 50 years it you know the lgbt the modern lgbt plus movement started back in 1969 and in just almost 50 years like actually just a bit more than 50 years we managed to change society and social attitude towards LGBTI people dramatically and i can't think of any other example in history or such a swift shift in mentality on a certain topic. Um, so that's that's one thing. And then the other thing is that, you know, yes, backlash is happening. Um, but if we keep doing our work, there is hope that we can, you know, win this battle. That is a fantastic point, Yuri. And let's stay here a little bit because you did make part of a larger uh, panel during the event that we just mentioned, and that is with Thomas Raskevicius from Lithuania and Katrina Rinzema. She's a member of the European Parliament. And you guys actually discussed the activism (laughs) in times of change. And you mentioned just now, uh, 30 seconds ago, that activism has been making a difference. So give us like your perspective of what it is still needs to be done. There's activism, there's progress, true. But in your opinion and the opinion of the panel, it was a very interesting panel, very dynamic. Tell, tell us, tell our listeners one or two main ideas for people to participate in this very important uh, struggle. 
Well, um, we were focusing during that discussion uh, a lot also on online activism uh, as, a, as a way to engage people, reach out to uh, a younger audience, mobilize the youngsters and etc. And, and that is certainly something that is pretty dear to me uh, because this is also what we do at Allowed and, 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 and certainly central to online activism and I would say central to social change is storytelling. It's starting from the stories of people being authentic and, and, and telling those stories to a wider audience because through empathy, uh, we can really change hearts and minds. And we have seen it not only in online activism, but we have seen it in more traditional activism, especially around marriage equality in the US, but not only in the US, uh, where, uh, you know, this huge movement that was built on storytelling, on sharing the stories, the personal stories of, of, of individuals did impact a lot on changing mentality and changing hearts and minds. And then, of course, it's not only that. I mean, the battle for marriage equality, for instance, the backbone of that battle was a legal battle, strategic litigations, for instance, which is, which is one very clever strategy that I, again, am particularly fond of because we have been using it in Italy with my Italian organization, uh, which is a member of LGBT Liberals of Europe, but it's been used everywhere uh, to, to whenever there is a blockage in parliament and at the political level, then you, you, you can try and go to courts to activate one very fundamental element of the liberal philosophy and, and, and I would say a, a very central element of democracy per se, which is um, the rule of law. That's, that's a very nonviolent liberal way of doing activism, going to courts and asking for your rights, uh, your human rights, asking for your human rights to be recognized and to be um, actually recognized, as I said, from, 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 from the state and from, from the government and from the country where you live in. This, this, is, this has proved to be very, very successful. That is a fantastic point, and it is, it is quite amazing, Yuri, looking at all that progress, and then you seeing the forces of regression, trying to, in a way, break that from those gains that the LGBT, and I'm going to use the expression, actually, for our listeners, this is a funny story, because Yuri, actually, he called me to attention that he was like, you use too many acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not all the same. I'm like, okay, cool. So, so it's going to be LGBT plus from now on. And my apologies to anyone that may be thinking that guy doesn't understand nothing about this community. So getting serious again. So as you mentioned, and then to see the regressive forces that try to dismantle all these gains. Now changing gears a little bit, because another panel that we had and one that I actually participated with, uh, Mayor François Descostes, is the president of Renew Europe Group at the European Committee of the Regions, and one where you actually introduced a very important uh, point of discussion, and we're going to get into that in a minute, and that is LGBT plus diplomacy. And actually, you just touched it about, Yuri, you were talking about other countries, Ghana, 
with the uh, kill the gays bill like it was well known unfortunately with that name but also poland with the um the, the lgbtq free zones and all this crap that we have to deal every day so before i I'm able to give my opinion. <laughs> Let's go to you right now. And that is, tell me what you got from that uh, very interesting conversation with François de Coste about going from the regional to the state and then to the state to a global perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That was a very interesting conversation because uh, diplomacy is definitely a powerful tool to, uh, you know, promote human rights around the globe. And 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 as you said, we were discussing different levels of diplomacy from the very local, the city level, where uh, twin agreements, uh, for instance, can be used to and were actually used, for instance, for for Poland on the LGBT. Uh, reasons uh, to try and, and promote LGBT plus rights. And on that, of course, there are different opinions on how we can use um, that localized version of diplomacy. And is it is it better to uh, use between agreements, for instance, to organize joint event and try to promote LGBT plus rights um, together, or is it better to use it as a form of pressure and therefore either revoke or suspend those agreements um, because uh, those, um, you know, the, the partners are not respecting human rights or LGBT plus rights. And, and either way, um, I think, uh, I think, you know, it, it really depends on the circumstances, but either way, that shows that those are definitely tools that you can use to make, to exercise pressure or to, uh, you know, to, to organize a joint event and, and, and try to use some sort of moral suasion to, to uh, promote LGBT plus rights. And then, of course, there is the national uh, level and and on that um, it wasn't covered during that conversation, but definitely um, I think there are um, roles uh, that can be very important, like special envoys for LGBT plus rights. At the moment, there are very few countries in the world, like the United States, Canada, the UK, Italy, and very recently Argentina as well, that um, created that role and that allows, you know, for instance, embassies to be open to uh, social civil society in countries where potentially there is no, there is no freedom, there is no, there is, there, there are no LGBT plus rights. Also, embassies can do a lot during uh, pride, pride season uh, organizing events, but also supporting pride parades, uh, by in, in different contexts with with diplomats going and attending uh, pride parades and 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 all sorts of things and then of course there is the bigger level the European Union for for us here in Europe can be done for instance when when even an organization like the European Union that is more it's it's an economic giant but a political dwarf as somebody say. Uh, but still, in, when negotiating economic agreement, there is always room to also uh, advocate for human rights, for um, rule of law, which are at the core of the respect of LGBT plus rights as well. 
Mm-hmm. One thing that Mayor de Costes said, and I thought it was really interesting. The first question was during the panel, is there a, an LGBT plus diplomacy? <laughs> is that even a thing? And it was interesting because um, Mayor de Costes, what he said, well, well, diplomacy is just conversation. It's just people having talks. Mm-hmm. And then he went to a point that you already brought in this podcast, and this is a really interesting one, and that is, having conversations about histories, about stories, about particular and private narratives and how those narratives fit in, in a larger uh, context of societies and then our society and your society. And you'll see that the differences between societies are not that dramatic. People are the same. People want to be happy. They want to love whoever they want to love and they want to be you know, full members of society. So I thought it was really cool. But now I'm going to throw it to you because there was also a, a dilemma and that is about using diplomacy, using these conversations or then having just the hammer come down and let's um, sanction them. Let's put sanctions or let's not give them the money that is going to be used in society because they're not uh, respecting the, the LGBT plus community. What is your take on that? I know it's a very thin line to walk, <laughs> but I, I'm looking forward to have your opinion. So if, if I may, first, I'd like to also add one extra thing on, on storytelling and, and, and using story, because I couldn't agree more with you. And I think since we are here on a liberal podcast, I think it's important to emphasize also the importance from a liberal perspective of storytelling and telling stories of individuals, because it brings the conversation down to the individual level, which is for us liberal, the only level that matters, um, because it's the only real level <laughs> uh, following Thatcher's uh, teachings. Uh, it's it, but it is very important because, you know, for instance, the rhetoric and the narrative that in Poland was used by conservatives is that LGBT plus's ideology is not even people, is an ideology, which is not true, of course. It is people and, and going and telling the stories of these people, part of the very colorful community I'm honored to be part of, as, as one, challenging that narrative, two, uh, bringing it down to a level that is that is detrimental for liberals and it's not by chance that liberals are so upfront in this fight for lgbt plus rights and historically were um the, the the first ones to embrace these these fights at least in italy's and certainly many other countries and then also the left came along but it was the liberal first and 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 this is one of the reasons i think now to your question, of course, it's a very difficult. It's very difficult to 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 have an answer, and I don't even know whether there is one answer. I think I think all those means that you mentioned were diplomat are diplomatic diplomatic means because you know um, it's obviously the conversations, it's obviously the negotiations in in uh, commercial agreements. Um, it's support of uh, activities, but it is also sanctions. It is also, um, you know, using more, you know, stronger, stronger diplomatic tools. And we saw it succeeding in Hungary and in Poland, in Poland in particular, when the sanctions, when the European Union started saying, uh, you know, 
because of of these breaches in 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 rule of law, including uh, you know violation of LGBTI rights, the LGBTI free zones, we are not going to give you the money. LGBT free zones started being cancelled. Then the attitude that yes, exactly, the attitude changes. Of course, it's a very difficult. It's a very it's very difficult to see to say. Uh, what is always right? Diplomacy is the art of choosing the right, uh, the right tool for the right situation. And there are so many nuances, and it's important to be very respectful of those nuances and 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 the local context and try different tools. And sometimes you make mistakes. And of course, there is a very strong argument in saying, you know, if 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 if. Uh, uh, you are using sanctions, then who is going to pay for it? Is it is it then the, the most vulnerable members of the community you want to advocate for the rights? Uh, well, it's it's a thin line, and it's really difficult to 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 act. But it's also a matter of priorities, right? If you if you manage to hit where. Uh, you, you need to hit where out your opponent, uh, the the place that your opponent cared the most about, and and if that is the wallet, then you should go for it. That's my opinion. <laughs> it's it's an interesting point, and I, it 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 bears continuing this conversation. And I'm going to ask you to come back to the podcast because there is something that I would like to explore, and that is. Again, getting back to the beginning where I said that I follow American politics very closely, at least they're fundamentalists and they really believe the crap they say. When you say, and very correctly so, that we saw some changes regarding LGBT plus free zones in Poland because money was an issue, and they were like, oh, well, if money is an issue, then we're going to drop it. It is not genuine. It is just pandering to some minority of people who are, you know, uh, xenophobes and racists and illiberal and uh, um, anti-gay. That's my opinion. But we'll leave that for for an, a new conversation. And as we are running out of time, the time flies when we're having fun. Yuri, tell people, please, where they can then follow the work of LGBT liberals for Europe. And if they want to follow you also online, what is uh, the ways to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can follow LGBT uh, I Liberals of Europe on Facebook. Um, you just type in LGBT I Liberals of Europe and you find the page. Uh, also, you, we have a beautiful website, www.lgbti-liberals.eu, and you can read some of the um, documents and resolutions and, and policy papers that we are producing. I'm going to put all these links in the show notes. I've been talking with Yuri Guiana. Yuri, finally, we got you on the podcast and it was as good as advertised. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this week of April. ELF will be present at LibertyCon Europe 22, and this is happening in Prague during this month. On 23rd, starting at 2.15 at Quebec Center, we have the panel Where is the West After COVID? discussing the long-term consequences of the pandemic on the idea of liberty. 
This panel will be moderated by Antonio Nestoras, Head of Policy and Research at ELF Secretariat, and the conversation will be based in the ELF publication Corona Economics, The Five Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Still on LibertyCon Europe 22, now the following day, the 24th, at Radilka Kulturnis Porzorna. I hope I'm not butchering that too much. Starting at 3.30, we have the event Cannabis Liberalization in Europe. This one is going to be moderated by Daniel Kadic, the ELF Executive Director, and this conversation based on the ELF and Generation Libre report for free cannabis market in France, fight the black market, and protect consumers. To know more about this event, you have to go to libertyconnect.nat and also in our website. Because then on the 26th in Sofia Hotel Balkan in Bulgaria, but also via Zoom, we have the EU Meets the Balkans Forum. This is a conference with politicians, EU decision makers and experts from Western Balkans that will access EU strategies for the region. For this event, you have to go to our website, which is liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and has the support of the Social Liberal Movement in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.